0: Here am I. He has worn glasses for years. and says when he takes his glasses off, he can't hear. <laughs> Do you think he should have his head examined? Signed, Irritated Abby's Wife. Bring it up there, please. Dear Abe's Wife, there are many mysterious things that deal with the human organism. There are many things beyond the realm of, let's say, uh, consistently logical contemplation. So we can only say... Burn one of those candles, look out into the dark blackness of the night, and hope for the best. Next question. I've got it on here. It's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) It's a way to get a mad, man. Oh, there's mysterious stuff going on everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, my God. Oh, there are mysterious things going on every place. Every place. In fact, uh, we have a little note here from uh, Belgrade. Those of you who think it's only happening here, police in Zagreb, capital of Croatia. I didn't know they still had a Croatia. My God, that sounds like uh, Lilliputia. The police in Zagreb, capital of Croatia, were baffled last December by a computer which seemed to have turned itself into a garrulous political agitator. Every time anyone (laughs) inquired about trade or business particulars at the Zagreb Electronic Data Processing Center, which owned the computer, this fantastic machine returned slips of paper on which, instead of their desired data, anti-government slogans were printed. It was a political computer. As the police could not arrest the computer, they had to spend the next m- couple of months investigating the staff that was feeding it with data. And they've just completed their... Their investigation As a result. One female and four male students are facing a political court in Zagreb on charges of sedition and hostility to the state. And by the way, the computer is still saying anti-government stuff. <laughs> so it's everywhere you go, you know. Hey, I'll tell you, no, seriously, tonight we have a uh, very serious type program. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's that time of year. It's it's uh, coming out the summer. And uh, this is a time when man's hopes outrun his ability to pull it off. In fact, there's hardly anybody out there listening tonight who does not feel this summer I'm going to go all the way. I ain't going to blow this one. I'm not going to screw up this summer. That's right, that's what you say now. All of a sudden you're going to wake up and it's going to be September 12th and you're going to wonder what the hell happened to the summer. You didn't get out of town even two weekends. You know, when you did, you stood for 14 hours on the Long Island Expressway. With uh, <laughs> helicopters flying over you, telling you not to go on the Long Island Expressway. And, uh, you know, we're all, let's face it, we're all caught in the fantastic thing here. It's, uh, it's, it's just like, uh, you know, it's, a, it's like uh, if you can imagine ants who somehow develop individualism. Can you imagine how unhappy an ant would feel in an anthill? I mean, if enough ants had a concept of individualism, you know? Well, that's the trouble with man. He's basically an ant. With an additional, with an, yeah, well, you remember the ant thing. I remember Miss Shields when I was in second grade. Miss Shields had a study a whole semester. We had to study this ant colony in a little glass thing. And we had to write stuff on how much people were like ants or vice versa. Did you ever do that? ever see ants? You ever saw ants in an ant colony? Oh, they do all the stuff that people do. Yeah, they do. They have riots, the whole bit. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. They have little wars and stuff, you know. and They have guys that sit around and get drunk, and and uh, you know, just the the usual stuff that people do. And and it's like today, I'm I'm in this uh, cab. See, uh, you, you you got to you got to be very careful when you're dealing with your fellow human being. Uh, Any time, it's always been the same. And uh, you know, it must have been the same in the cave, you know. And I'm sitting in this cab. Me and this human being are, are, are sharing one moment of time together. We have been hurled into juxtaposition merely by the luck of the draw. I mean, his cab could have been over on 8th Avenue instead of 6th Avenue. It could have been on a different street corner. And he and I came together for this brief instant. I waved my hand and this clattering hulk roared up to the corner, and he cut off 15 different trucks when he did it, you know, you could hear crashes and thundering, uproars and explosions as he cut across the traffic, man, I'll tell you, some of these New York cab drivers, man, they're driving, uh, they're driving hand grenades with four wheels, you know, he just came cutting across the traffic, I crash, bam, guys running up on the street, I get calmly into the car, you know, I get in the back seat there, and just like uh, every cab ride in New York, you know, it was filled with all kinds of little, little alarms and excursions. And I'm sitting in the back of his cab, seeing I can see that somebody has been very sick in the back of his cab before I get in there, all over the floor. So I'm sitting there with my feet up, see, so... It, uh, <laughs> especially since I'm wearing sandals, you know, <laughs> it can be exciting. So I'm sitting there, seeing this and, and, uh And this stuff is floating around down on the bottom of the floor there. And it's kind of aromatic. Now, I'm not inventing the news, I'm just relating it to you. This is a fun city. so. It's very aromatic, and I can see cigar butts floating around. And then, and once in a while, something seems to be swimming in there. I can see a hand reach out of it, a little claw. And so I'm sitting there with my feet up. <laughs> and with that, the guy in the front there, see, he's got this, he's got this uh, red neck, and you know, he's looking real mad, see, all oh, right, right from the start. And I got my feet up there, and he says, where do you want to go? I said, take me up to 40th Street and 6th Avenue. Do what side of the street you want to go on? I said, I don't care. It's said, uh, all right, let's go on the west side, okay? It's all right. So we go back into the traffic. And boom, cars roaring all over. So the temperature's getting hotter, and the sun is hitting hitting down on the top. Well, of course, I got my feet up because of the stuff that's all over down on the bottom there. You don't say anything to guys like the, in the cab anymore. You just accept that kind of stuff, see? Well, he's looking at me through the rearview mirror. I can see that one little beady eye. See, he's looking at me through the mirror there. I look up there at him. And all of a sudden, he says... What do you got your feet up for? Take your feet off the seat. I said, what was that? He said, take your feet off the seat. So I thought for a minute. I says, well, look, Mac. You stick your head through the window here and look back and see what's over the floor. He said, what are you talking about? I said, look what's on the floor. And he slides the thing back and he sticks his head back and he looks down and he sees this great sea of glop, you know. He looks at me right in the eye. He says, what kind of pig are you? I said, I didn't do it. I got in the cab. It was all over the floor. He said, all right, shut up. So we drove in dead silence through the traffic. We finally got up to 40th Street. And he, he turns to me. He so said, I give him the dough for the cab drive, which came to maybe $15, $20. After all, I was going over 10 blocks, you know. So I give him the money and $8 tip. You know, yeah, this is all part of the scene here in New York now. So I hand him the dough. And as I'm getting out, he says, "No, I'm going to have to clean the cab. I said, well, you know, I, actually, well, I used a phrase which I learned in the Army, which describes a tough, uh, you know, scene. So I says, ah, oh, yeah, he says, oh, I'm not going to clean up. He's a slob. I said, I didn't do it. Somebody else did it. He says, don't give me that. And I knew that I was right back home. <laughs> I was back in that good old New York. And so as I, as, I, as I marched off, as I marched off, I realized, I realized... I realized once again, man, as he marches up the great ladder of evolution, as he marches towards God knows what destination, as he ascends this enormous ladder of life, ah, the winds of adversity that blow out of the deep hell pits of time, singe his tail feathers, as he looks for the glass cases of the eternal ant hill of his own existence. Now, I'm just going to ask you a technical question. You keep that behind me, Larry, because this is a, you know, good to music for technical questions. I'm going to ask you a technical question. <laughs> I mean, I think of those little ants. Between those two little pieces of glass, those little ant colonies, you can buy them, you know. Are the ants aware that vast, gigantic creatures compared to them are watching them carry out their tiny little lives as they run around and lay their eggs and fist fight and get drunk and have their little wars? Are they aware of this? No. I submit to you, no. Could it be, then, that we are carrying out our curious existences between two vast, cosmic sheets of glass, and that we are being observed by something a hell of a lot bigger than us, they just say, that just said, look they're amazing how they act, they act almost like they have sense, almost, not quite, but they act almost like they could have sense. And these are the things that go whistling through the empty skulls on the dark night of the brightly lit dune on 6th Avenue. You struggle your way past Macy's. I suspect that the, that when, when, when all of us are gone, two million years from now, and all the human beings on the face of the globe will have disappeared, there'll still be a traffic jam in front of Macy's. <laughs> I suspect this is the only eternal thing that we've got in our time. So sing it out, gang. Wait a minute now. Hold it there, hold it there. Now reset that. That you just cut it. Reset it there, Larry. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know whether you did that. <laughs> I had to think. Hey, you know, speaking of of serious things though, I mean you know, the mysterious stuff that's happening. You know, there's been a lot of a lot of talk about uh, whether or not uh, the Bible was referring to people when it made its uh, famous statement about the meek inheriting the earth. It did not say, at any point, meek people. Because I think, by definition, people are not meek. No way. There's just some that's louder than others, but that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's all... (laughs) It's all... It's all... uh, No, no, no. I just cannot concede that the meek... Which reminds me, by the way, speaking... This is WOR, New York. Uh, This is the station for the meek station for the meek. And would you set the little T.A.P. thing up there, Larry? Hit the button there. We have a lot of this cheap guitar music. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Ricketing, ticketing. Ricketing, ticketing. This is a special uh, little commercial here for youth types. If you want to meet the kids of Italy, take your vacation in Portugal, friend, because that's where all the Italian kids are this year. <laughs> Not only Italian, England, Germany, Switzerland, Denmark. Have you ever made... Oh, uh, man, the Swedish ones are there laying around on the beach. And so that the kids of America will not be left out of all this great action that's going on, TAP, the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, is introducing a special youth fare. Only $210 round-trip economy airfare to Portugal. And the ticket is good for a year. Anyone under 26 and over 12 is eligible. So I've got myself a little beanie, you know. I'm, I'm going down there. i got a beanie, and I'm going to get myself a couple of... Uh, cross sticks that I eat, you know, a little, you know, a little can of pot. And so you will think that I'm, you know, just about 12 and a half. In Portugal, you'll meet the European kids in the wine country and do it all. The prices are incredibly low, the food is great, and the people move real good. Call your travel agent or TAP at 421-8500 for complete information about TAP's $210 youth fare to Portugal. Go where the European kids go. hmm <laughs> watch you go all right thank you Larry Larry thank you very much uh, did you say that you had a uh, Newsday spot in air? okay one two three four hit it over the past 32 years Newsday the Long Island newspaper has become one of the great success stories in publishing history recently we started a Sunday edition And what Newsday has done so well six days a week, we're now doing just as well on Sunday. For example, the editorial page section. I'm Bob Weimer, editorial writer and columnist for Newsday. In our coverage of the news, we tell you what's happening. In our editorial page section, we try to tell you why it's happening. We call this section Viewpoints in the Daily Paper. In Sunday's expanded section, we call it Ideas. It's the place where you'll find hard-hitting editorials and the political cartoons of Pulitzer Prize winner Tom Darcy, where Newsday columnist Patrick Owens and I often sharply disagree, where politicians and professors and our own readers sound off. It's your journal of opinion. Newsday, Long Island's own Sunday newspaper. No service charge for home delivery. Hey, listen, speaking of politicians, we have a little note here that Herb Klein, who is... uh, White House communications director, is going to be on The Gambling Show uh, Wednesday morning on W.O.R. He was over in uh, Moscow and all that. And so uh, he'll answer any questions concerning President and Mrs. Nixon's journey to Moscow. Uh, so you better listen Wednesday morning on WR, the Rambling with Gambling Show. And you better take down the phone number if you want to get ready to give him a call. That's Herb Klein. The area code is 212, and the number is 868. They have a special number here. 868-8500. You can call up Herb and yell at him, or whatever it is you want to do. You know, uh, speaking of, uh, of uh, mysterious things, I, I don't know how to quite to approach this. I don't know, you know? Because uh, people generally think that the, you know, the earth is going to be inherited by meek people, and for a long time, I thought it was going to be the cockroaches that inherit the earth, but I'm not sure of that now. No, I'm really not. I'm open, Sam. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I really think cockroaches are going to be around long after we're gone, friend. In fact, Larry, they were here a lot earlier than we came around. You wonder what they... Have you ever wondered what mosquitoes eat when people aren't around? What the hell do they eat? I mean, you can go out into the woods where there's nothing out there. nothing but a lot of trees and weeds. And there's 28 million mosquitoes, and the minute you show up, they, of course, they land on you. What do they eat when you're not there, when there's nobody there? I mean, this has always occurred to me. I guess this, don't come around and tell me to eat dandelions or anything like that. I don't buy that. Mosquitoes are blood men. <laughs> oh, they, they go for it. But uh, here is what is happening, friend. If you want to know what's happening in the world, you've got to listen to the world. You can't... I mean, you can't just listen to Walter Cronkite. You've got to hear the world. Have you heard what's been happening in London lately? Well, you know, <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know what, what to say about it. It's really, really a fantastic story. And I have heard nothing about it in any of the legitimate news media. And uh, the only way I was able to hear anything about it, one of our spies is over in London, and he sent me a copy out of a London paper. And this is only a couple of days old. It's new. It's it's just happening this minute. And he says, my God, I got over here into London, and he says nobody ever told me anything about this. He says and it's the biggest story in London. London is being totally invaded by mice. Fantastic mice. By the billions. And I'm not talking about a few mice under the under the sink. I'm talking about everywhere. Mice. In fact, listen to the story. This is from the Sunday... London Gleaner, which is a big paper. In fact, uh, the uh, London Times had a big story on it, but this is written by a guy named Michael Cope. Urgently required a pied piper to rid London of a fantastic plague of super mice immune to modern deadly rodent poisons. I mean, these mice are something else. The plague has driven people from their homes... Terrified children, frustrated pest control officials, has become a top priority project at the Ministry of Agriculture, where scientists are now feverishly searching for a new poison. They they don't know what to do about them. The super mites, quote, super survivalists. Not necessarily super size. They're not big. They just get along, good man. There ain't no way to kill these little devils, says the ministry. The plague has... has, uh, so far hit north and northwest London, but is spreading like a wildfire. In one part of the town, uh, here's one housewife, for example, Mrs. Mary Cecil, who lives on the second floor of a duplex, says, listen, quote, The mice seem to love the usual poison I put down for them. They love it. When they're finished it off, the mice, they eat it. When they finished off the poison, they hang around with a sort of wistful look on their faces as though they're pleading for more. They eat the poison and sit around waiting for more. Now, in other words, these are mice that like poison. The hordes of mice scampering through her home make such a noise that she is frequently kept awake throughout the night. She says, Now I use a sleeping bag so I can move about the house easily if the noise becomes unbearable in any one room. She just has to, she can't sleep in her bed. So noisy are the mice and so cheeky that this, uh, I'm quoting here, that the ground floor tenant. By the way, that's an English expression, a great expression. You hardly, anybody, you hardly ever hear anybody in our country ever refer to as being cheeky. <laughs> you know, it's a great expression. You a cheeky, barman, you know, skim one. Anyway, these mice are cheeky. And uh, it's just that so noisy, are they, that in the same building, tenants, three tenants on the ground floor have moved out when the rodents started to scamper over his bed and their beds during the night. On another, listen to this story. Now, this is right out of a fantastic, uh, what is that uh, TV series that went off here a couple of years ago that dealt in horror, but almost unbelievable horror? Do do you recall a series that was a horror series on TV? Not quite like uh, the Rod Serling series, although something like it. Uh, like like stuff, you know the best horror when you talk about horror, the best horror is the stuff that 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 deals with truly basic fears of all of us that are basic. I'm not talking about fears of of uh, of a more esoteric nature, but I mean basic, for example, all of us have a secret fear, every last one of us of being touched by something. In our beds at night. Do you agree? I mean, something you can't explain. All of a sudden, something touches you in the dark. Especially if, <laughs> yeah, this is a basic fear, it really is, and and uh, and uh, something just reaches out and touches you. Something that's not there. I mean, if somebody, if you know it's somebody in the house, no, that's not going to scare you. But I'm saying you're, you're all alone in this house, and you're you're in bed and you're asleep, and you become aware. You wake up in the dark that something is touching you, something that's alive. Now that is a scary feeling. You, you agree that this is this is this is a basic fear. Now. There are other basic fears. One of the greatest of all the basic fears is when you're in water, for example, like swimming, that something is going to bite you. Something is going to get you. I'm not talking about in a pool. This is obviously not going to happen. But if you're swimming, say, in the ocean, like at Jones Beach, have you ever had that fear? Well, I'm going to tell you, if you haven't had it, then (laughs) you are exceptional. Uh, In fact, uh, that means then, perhaps, that you have not had enough experience with the ocean. As a matter of fact, uh, I was down in in, uh, Florida here a few months ago, and uh, there was a fantastic sight. Uh, I've been going in and out of the tropical areas for a long time, but I never saw anything quite like this. Now, here's a beach. Got this story. Now, this is a big public beach. In fact, it was in Fort Lauderdale. Now, Fort Lauderdale has one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. It's just a magnificent beach. And there's a lot of people on it, you know. And and uh, it's a very civilized beach. And the, and the the bottom of the ocean is beautiful white sand. And there's no weeds or anything like that. And it's just a very gradual bottom. There's no big drop-offs or anything like that. And here it was, a bright, sunny day. And I came wandering down to the beach there. And bright sunshine and there's people walking around on the, on the beach there and that beach umbrellas and all the, you know, people just there. And I looked out at the water and I thought at first that there were some weeds or something has come in. Like, you know, you, you occasionally see crud that drifts in like weeds or kelp or something like that in the, in the ocean. And I walked over to where it was right in the, in the shallows. The water wasn't more than six or seven inches deep. And I realized that I was wrong that it wasn't kelp, it wasn't weeds. There were great schools, fantastic schools of minnows, so tightly packed together, live minnows were swimming like mad, tightly packed together that they were like one solid uh, dark brown mass in the water. You couldn't even see there were minnows. You just saw this great mass right there. And there were, there were all, all up and down the beach. There were thousands of these patches of minnows, each one containing millions of minnows. All right. Now you're going to say, so what? Just minnows. Okay. All right. We're going to carry it further now. (laughs) Here's where the, here's where the mysterious stuff starts. Now a minnow is, is a born victim. You realize that. What is it that a lot of guys use for bait when they fish? Minnows, correct. So that follows now, use your head. There are large numbers of minnows in the water. What do you think then is the result? That's right, in this shallow water, the water was no more than two or three feet deep at the most, just nice soft waves coming in. Not big waves, just nice soft summertime waves Around the outskirts of these patches of minnows, you had to look very carefully. Most of the people don't look at what they're doing. Most people walk out in water. You know, they, they don't have the eye. That's all I can say. You've got to have the eye. I saw shadows. I saw a little flash, a little shadow. And sure enough, working on the outside of these schools of minnows are gigantic fish who have come in from the deep water to eat these minnows. Basic, you know, big fish eats to little fish syndrome. That's all there is to it. But the people on the beach didn't see it. They didn't know this, you see, because most people are very civilized. They don't really think in terms of, uh, of nature being other than benevolent. Most people think of nature as basically Central Park. <laughs> you know? <laughs> they do. This is why a lot of ecology people, you know, c- ecology freak types, uh They never recognize anything at all pernicious in in uh in in nature it's it's all basically benign, no such thing as as evil in nature it's only evil in man they recognize. And so no matter what's happening, I mean, there would be hooded cobras all over the place, you know, uh, knocking off the camels, uh, hooded cobras everywhere, or, or, or sharks. You know, they, don't, they don't see this. They, they, and if there is a shark, well, he's just doing his thing. They never accept the fact that man, when he's doing his thing, like throwing beer bottles in the water, is doing his thing, see? This is man's thing. So nevertheless, these, these great, the, I see these things moving. Whew, go, and they, they, they'd come in. What they would do, they would, they would move in quickly from deeper water water, these fish, and they would just hit the, uh, the the school of minnows, like, just go right through the edge of it, like a glancing blow, like like somebody just hitting a pie. and you know, They'd go, they'd cut a swath right through these babies, see? And here these kids are walking around, they're out there, up to their knees in water, and, and finally I said to somebody, I said, hey, you know, there's there's some big things coming in out of there. Well, what do you mean big things? There's minnows. I said, well, wait a minute, friend, what's that shadow moving out there? Oh, that's just a, oh, uh, 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 yeah, I don't know, it's just a shadow. I said, wait a minute, I did no know shadow. So I had a, a, a uh, I always, when I swim in the ocean, I always carry a snorkel mask with me. So I immediately, under I go, you see, and this is only in three feet of water, and sure enough, all around me, I see these these all types. There were not just one type. All types of many types of fish. Oh, four or five as long as six feet. Big babies, like the six-feet one, if curious what they were. Uh, There were a few sand sharks in the crowd. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Uh, There were were a couple of real mean barracudas moving around in there. And and here's what happened. Of course, you're going to say, well, they don't hurt anybody. Well, not so. Because that afternoon... That afternoon, I'm running up and down the beach. I'm told people, look out. You know, there's, there's stuff coming. They look at me like I'm a nut, see. So that very afternoon, about an hour after I was there, uh, there was a guy standing in the usual clod, you know, his, with his madras shorts on, you know, and his rubber ducky. Uh, you know, the whole scene. He's out there in the water, you know, flubbing around. When all of a sudden, pow, something hits him. Just like that. Right above his wrist and below his elbow, something slashed him from almost to the bone, just <laughs> and the blood, of course, is flowing like insane, and I'm about 15 or oh, maybe 15 or 20 feet away from the beach at the time, and I hear this uproar saying, I go back to the beach, and sure enough, there's a big crowd around this guy, and nobody seems to know what happened to him. Again, people don't Relate to to the water. See, they think something quote cut him in the water, you know, like a piece of wire or something. See, and obviously, here's what had happened. This guy was hit by a barracuda, not a shark, but a barracuda. Well, they'll hit you like that. And the reason that this barracuda hit him <laughs> was because when they get into a, a a feeding frenzy. Now, this is something that I have to. I have to jump ahead because people are going to say, "Oh, what do you mean? I'm going to get a thousand letters saying they barracuda won't hit." That's right, barracuda will not hit you under normal circumstances. But these fish were frenzied; they were frenzied by the feeding. It was like uh, uh, it's like Saturday night in a bar. That uh, you you take a guy who's been drinking like mad Saturday night in the bar, and he's really feeding like he's 40 feet tall. He's liable to attack the phone booth in a fist fight. He, you know, he'll do something totally unrelated the way the way he normally is. Do you agree with that, Larry? You've seen guys do this, and it's a curious frenzy that sets in, <laughs> and and this really affects fish. That when the fish are in a feeding frenzy, they will hit anything that is in the water, anything. And so uh, any any guy that's done much deep sea fishing knows that that if you get a group of uh, of sharks, and uh, and normally they 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 swim around and they may. They'll hit something. If they see it's uh, something to eat, they'll, they'll knock off this fish or something like that. But if you take if you take a large amount of meat and you chop it up and you throw it in there and you just keep throwing it, meat and blood, and the next thing you know, thousands of sharks will be attacking each other. They'll be attacking the bottom of the boat. They'll be eating the sand on the bottom of the ocean. They'll be jumping up and biting at clouds. They'll hit anything. See? They get into this frenzy. And at that point, it is advisable to stay out of the water. I mean, I'm just warning you, it's advisable to stay out of the water. Well, these fish were in a feeding frenzy. And they were, they were coming in and they were hitting these, these minnows, see, which meant that, of course, anything that moved was, was fair game for them, see. And, and, and if you were wearing a watch or something on you that flashed like a minnow, wham, he's going to hit it. And that's exactly what happened to this guy. He had a watch on, a waterproof watch. And the watch flashed in the water, and this fish apparently hit at the watch. He didn't hit at the, his arm. He hit at the watch, missed the watch, and just slashed him right up. Zap! You could see the tendons in this guy's arm. Whoo! And the people are all standing around, looking at their eyeballs, bugging out, see? They had met nature in the raw, and they realized that nature is not so easily explained. Well, those great little moments on the beach Well, now, this is a basic fear, people. Now, I'm sure this guy is never going to, never going to ever, he's never, ever going to approach the water the same as he did that afternoon. It's always, it's, the whole ball game has changed. That something out of the, and he never saw it. He never even saw what hit him. He did not see what hit him. And that's even part of the basic fear. If you can see something, you don't fear it as much. But this thing hit him, and got away real quick just left that blood pour out of him and he you know he the guy was practically hysterical so there's all kinds of basic fears you know what's another one of the most basic of all human fears in fact they can even tell us in, in in children babies that are only minutes old they have no they have no knowledge of anything so they're pure instinct the child at, uh at the age of say six hours pure instinct what do you think one of the great fears that all children have? I mean, the basic animal, human animal, the fear of falling. The fear of falling. Have you ever taken a little tiny kid and he hangs out to you? Oh my God, you know, he just, it's not because he digs you. <laughs> it's because he's afraid of landing on his head. And, and it's basic, it's absolutely basic. And this is why there's so many mysterious myths about flying. People are secretly, uh, you know, this, this gets them very nervous. Uh, even though they may, they may uh, attempt to be sophisticated about it, and they may, you know, try to ride over it and pretend, oh, no, you know, this is uh, ridiculous. Uh, there is a very, very elemental subterranean fear that is instinctual. You cannot, you can't do away with it. It's an instinctual fear of fighting, of falling, of just suddenly no props under you, and down you go. It's instinctual. And so, for that reason, uh, man makes instinctual adjustments to it. Now, you take beaches. Uh, generally, uh, nobody ever mentions anything about a beach, about anything being out there. You'll never find uh, uh, any discussion of what's. It's, it's like the time I was, I was, uh, I was doing some skin diving in Jamaica. Beautiful country, and I was, uh, all the water was fairly. Uh, Shallow, deep. Let's put it that way. Maybe about ten feet deep. It, the, the kind of depth where you would swim in, but not necessarily. You couldn't walk around it. Much deeper than that. And uh, I'm, I'm swimming along, down, down about three or four feet from the bottom of the water. There, just, just edging along the bottom, while wearing uh, diving gear. When suddenly, laying there on the, on the, on this beautiful sand, right near where people were swimming, just lying there, on the bottom. Was a stonefish. Now, do you know what a stonefish is, Larry? You should know. You should know, man. <laughs> you should know. A stonefish has—it's—it's a, it's a fish that has spines on it, and it looks exactly like sand. It's almost invisible. It just lays on the bottom, slays like a rock. It's got these spines all over it. The only thing that makes them different from most stones is that. Uh, his spines contained one of the most... disappeared, My socks disappeared at the point where my ankles were joined by my boots. My legs were scratched and bleeding, and the bicycle was covered with blood. The wheels were buckled, and the spokes were covered with bits of fur. What a fantastic image. Can you imagine a, 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 uh, a Twilight Zone episode of a guy riding his bike, just driving along? You know, he's, 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 riding, he's an old guy riding his bike when suddenly he's attacked by millions of tiny mice who, who uh, you know, just, just, uh, just rip his pants to, to shreds and get ground up on the wheels by the millions. And, and this is what's been happening in London lately. You've heard nothing on the news about it, have you? Well, man, I'll tell you, uh, when people are attacked by millions of mice on the street on their bicycles, you realize that's news. To me, this is really news. Something is happening. Now, why all of a sudden the millions of mice? No, who knows? But you know, speaking of other of other secret fears, uh, and and the the mice are part of that secret fear. We all have a basic secret fear. There's a there's a in fact there is a scientific name for it, and that's the fear the, the the serious fear of spiders. I mean spiders. A spider has been seen. Uh, as as a, as a sinister object, almost as much as the snake. And about two or three months ago, I had a fantastic episode that I, I couldn't believe, I could not believe what I was seeing. Have you ever seen a tarantula? You know what, the, the big ones, the great big ones with fur on them. I mean, oh, these are mean. Big, I mean, they're big. They're about the size of mice themselves, you know. Well, I was floating in water in a little boat And we drifted, and this was in the tropics, we drifted up to a tiny deserted dock that was just sitting on the side of this water, this, this tropical water. And the person who was with me jumped up on the dock to pull the rope, the, the line from the boat. We're going to try to land on this dock when all of a sudden he leaves, he, he lets out a yell. He's, look, what the hell, what's, what's going on? And he's jumping around and he tries to get back in the boat. And it was then that I saw what was happening. The entire dock. I never saw a sight in my life like it. The entire dock, the minute he stepped on it, apparently this little vibration set him off. The dock was literally, actually covered with tarantulas. Thousands of them. Huge tarantulas, roughly that big, with fur. And they were, they were, they were moving. You know, they move in a, in a strange way. They're... I'll tell you, they got a crazier walk than W.C. Fields, I'm telling you. They were walking, <laughs> this guy was going out of his bird, see, and he's trying to get back in a boat. Well, well, obviously, there was a problem. As he tries to jump in a the boat, these things are running around on his feet. And, and, and he's kicking his feet like that, and, and the fear was that they would get back in the boat. Well, that's what happened. He jumped back in the boat, and there's about ten tarantulas made it into the boat with him. So we started to flip these babies out, And we finally cleared the boat of all tarantulas. And we just drifted out in the water. And this dock looked very benign, quiet, and innocent. We just drifted away from it. We sat in this boat from an home. You know, if there was ever a moment when you needed... I mean, you needed more than a beer. I tell you this. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those kind of things. See? We were just going to go on this dock. We we're going to sit down, you know, and, and uh, pop open a couple of cans of beer and eat a sandwich and, and proceed. We just sat in this boat and we looked over at that dock. See, there was nothing else around it. This dock was in a very deserted place. Nothing but sand and palmettos and stuff. Millions of moving tarantulas. And, and, you know, speaking of of, uh, strange, mysterious attacks that nature is creating, do you know that one of the most famous stunt flyers in America was killed recently? His airplane, he was doing a maneuver where he was flying upside down, and for apparently inexplicable reasons, his plane didn't come out of it, and he crashed right into some trees. A great stunt flyer. And when they investigated the accident, they found... Under his seat, in his plane, unbeknownst, of course, to anybody, a nest of black widow spiders had taken hold. And apparently, right in the middle of his great aerobatic exhibition, he was struck, hit by a black widow spider. And one of the first things that that serum causes is temporary blindness. He couldn't see. And he crashed, and it was all over. Now there's a fantastic thing. Can you imagine? You couldn't write that kind of fiction. A stunt flyer attacked by a black widow spider. Oh man, it's everywhere. <laughs> oh, this is W O R New York. <laughs> Speaking of, now uh, stay tuned for Lester Smith in the news. This is the news in detail. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it